We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a It's our 400th episode, and as a way to celebrate, we've decided to talk about something that actually matters. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, 400 episodes. Thank you so much. Uh, obviously, could not have done it without you, Mom, so thanks. Um, no, all jokes aside, really, uh, can't even believe that it's it's been 400 of these, and uh, the fact that you are still here listening, or maybe it's your first time and you won't be here long, but either way, uh, we appreciate you and we love you. So what we're going to do, uh, actually, I joked, we're going to talk about something that matters. Uh, Tim and Clive are down the line. We're going to talk about our Tedas press conference. We're going to talk about the Fulham game. We're going to talk about transfers, all of the stuff that you are usually here for, but... Uh, one of the best ways we could celebrate 400 episodes is by trying to do a little good in the world. And um, previously, Mike from the Gunners Pod was on to talk about Gunners versus Cancer Charity. It is such an important charity. I mean, I lost my uh, my dad's dad, my grandfather, to cancer, a very treatable cancer, sadly, that uh, honestly, if he had been more vigilant, uh, might not have been the case. And that's often the case with this terrible disease. But there's lots of different ways it touches our lives. And so wanted to invite Mike on to quickly give you the rundown on how you can help with Gunners versus Cancer because it is a phenomenal uh, charity that they are involved with. And uh, I'm going to introduce him like the professional that I am and let him talk about that. So you can find uh, Mike at the Gunners pod. But what we're talking about now is you can find the charity at Gunners V Cancer on Twitter. You can find them online at GunnersVCancer.com. Hello, Mike. Hello, Elliot. And congratulations on 400 episodes. That's, uh, I mean, you got to be pretty much almost done, right? I think, I think the proper uh, introduction is condolences on 400 episodes, <laughs> if you've listened to them. But um, levity aside... I said, that to your fam- I said that to your family because they've you. clearly not seen you in recent years. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, 
but at least I, I get to uh, have this really cool um, uh, headphone hair that has, has started to permanently develop, which is fun. Um, so look, th- this cancer charity that, that you're involved with, Gunners versus Cancer, it, it's, it's something that has been tremendously successful in the past. You're running a, a sort of major uh, charity drive for it right now. So maybe you can just tell everybody the rundown on how to give, why to give, some of the giveaways that are involved. There's some really fun Arsenal memorabilia and Arsenal experiences involved with this. So uh, tell everybody the rundown. We're only going to spend a couple of minutes um, doing this, but I want to make sure everyone understands how and why they can contribute. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And I have to say, first of all, that uh, you know the number of people who have reached out to me and let me know that they found out about the charity through your podcast is, uh, you know, is, is not shocking because I expected that, but it's, it's impressive. So uh, maybe another 400 episode renewal should be, maybe if you sign the thing and do another 400, I think there'll be a lot of happy people. But um, <laughs> speaking of happy people, I, I couldn't be happier right now with the reception this is getting. Uh, I mentioned on the podcast a couple weeks ago when you had me join that we were getting ready to kick off a FIFA tournament online. Then, Completed. It's led to over two thousand dollars. About what is that? Fifteen hundred pounds. Uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. New friends made around the world. Uh, really, I mean, just some of the WhatsApp chats that have gone on for that tournament. It's just this clearly brought people together for a good cause, and it was fun. Now we're running the Gooner Auction, which is the big kind of centerpiece of this charitable run that we're on. Basically, you go to GoonersVCancer.com. The instructions are on the podcast on the website, but it's an auction where if you donate to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, you'll get virtual raffle tickets. Uh, and I should call it a raffle, not an auction, but it, you get virtual raffle tickets, which you can then put into a number of different categories. We've got amazing prizes. We've got two amazing tickets in Block 32. Once fans start coming back to Arsenal games, you can literally reach out with your left hand and touch the player's tunnel. That's how close you are to the to the pitch and to the action. Um, those are for the game of your choice whenever you want. Um, for one game, I should say. Signed retro 88 and 89 kits. Uh, signed with a personal message that you select from Alan Smith. There's also one from Lee Dixon. We may be adding one or two more there. Um, the Perry, This is my favorite one, Elliot. The Perry Groves Experience this is cool, has yeah. been offered. Yeah, the Perry Grove Experience includes... Uh, a tour for four of the Emirates. It's it's a Legends tour. So that's, I mean, that's nothing you can't go on Arsenal's website and buy yourself. But what you can't do is get a signed shirt from Perry Groves that he's going to sign in front of you and give to you. And most importantly, pints at a, at a pub after the tour. So he may be touring you, uh, a group of four, uh, and a lot of other people, but he's not going to be taking those other people to the pub. And he's not going to be drinking with them. And if, I, I can't think of a gooner in history, other than perhaps a tie with Ray Parler that you'd want to have beers with more than Perry Grove. So that's that's on offer. Uh, we've got other prizes like uh, the 89 t-shirt that I've worn on a couple of podcasts, including uh, last week or, or recently with Alan Smith. Personalized new kit of your choice with any player's name on the back of it, if you're daring enough to put one of our current players on the back of it. Uh, home kit signed by the entire first team. That's, that's our, our kind of big ticket item is the entire first team signed home kit that you can put up in a frame. And we're looking to have and probably we'll have more uh, available to bid on. So, you know, it's been our goal to mix together fun and the Gooner family and opportunities to really either participate or get something out of your generosity. Uh, we realize there's a lot of different charities and a lot of important causes right now. So we want to 
incentivize you by giving you an opportunity to experience cool things. And hopefully you'll, uh, you'll jump on that opportunity and help us out. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, I think it's great that you do this and, you know, obviously you put a lot of thought into the stuff to give away and, and the raffle and all that so that it, it's really a fun thing for Gooners to participate in. Um, you know, again, you, you do that at GoonersVCancer.com and you can also find that at GoonersVCancer on Twitter. Um, you know, and just as far as giving, I mean, you obviously have a target in mind, but, you know, people can give as much or as little as, as they choose. I mean, obviously it's it's just about getting as many people as possible to, to participate, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we we realize again that that uh, it's a difficult time in the world, and there are a lot of people deserving of your uh, you know extra money for charity. If 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 you have that, um, any bit helps. Any bit you know enters you into the contest. We we do have it set up so that the more you donate, the more tickets you get, kind of you know on a bulk basis. But uh, you know by no means is it uh, you know is it something that we don't want to have happen unless you donate a minimum amount. Anything will help. It's the thought that counts. It really, really is. Yeah. Well, and, well, and, our, and our, our goal is just to just mm-hmm. to match if we can match last year, because we had a lot of in-person fundraising last summer. If we can match that, which is sixteen thousand dollars this year, I'd be thrilled. But, you know, with the with the Gooner family being as generous as they are, uh, new ideas popping up all the time for local fundraising spinoffs. Um, I have no question, you know, no doubt that we can do much better than that. Yeah. But and your as help I, has been tremendous. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Look, I, I hope people will give. And I, I look, I mean, obviously only give if you can. That's important. I know people have been especially hard hit um, by the pandemic. But the one thing that I think is a little scary is just that when so much of the world's attention is on something like COVID and, and understandably and rightfully so, it, it can be easy to take our eye off uh, other causes that that still need attention. And, and cancer is one that isn't going anywhere, unfortunately. And uh, when we all defeat this, this uh, COVID threat, which we will do and get through it together, uh, cancer will be something that still needs our attention. So the fact that you haven't lost sight of that is great, Mike, and we really obviously appreciate it. So we'll leave it there. Uh, go sign up. Get get into the raffle. I mean, like you said, any amount of money uh, enters you so you could win the Perry Groves experience or any of the other great giveaways that they have there. And, and you can do it because it's a good cause, but also do it because, you know, you'd like something fun and Arsenal-related, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, because it is and, a great and and because Elliot's telling you to. I mean, that's yeah, I mean, that, that, that is arguably the most important reason, but the other reasons are relevant as well. So GoonersVCancer.com and uh, at GoonersVCancer on Twitter. Uh, Mike is also obviously one of the co-hosts of the Gooners pod, which is fantastic, and you should listen to that as well. A lot more uh, references to genitalia and the like on his pod than ours, although we, we try to keep up with Paul's Yes. Slightly higher average. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you in the future. And, and just thanks again for the great work you're doing with the charity. Thanks, Ali. Come on, you Gooners. All right. We'll take a break. And we'll come back with Tim and Clive and talk football after this. Stay with us. Okay, now that the important stuff is out of the way, we can talk football, and it is our 400th episode, so we wanted to do something special. We wanted to celebrate, and I racked my brain, and I was like, what can we do to make the 400th episode special? And then it came to me, do it without Paul. You can find Tim on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I kid, I kid. Paul will be back, presumably, in the 401st episode. Obviously, if you are watching this on Patreon, uh, you are watching this. So you can see our faces, um, which I am sorry about. I know Eddie Longbridge on Twitter posted a picture of our faces as women's faces, which um, 
It didn't recognize my face as a face, so I couldn't be posted as a woman. So I put a light on so that now my face will hopefully be recognized as a face and Eddie can make me into the woman I have always wanted to be uh, because, damn, I feel like a woman. Um, now, we're going to talk mostly Mikel Arteta's press conference and the news about him uh, being named Arsenal first team manager. We'll talk a little bit about Fulham, but I do just want to start by saying uh, 400 episodes in, the fact that we are still here and anybody listens, uh, Mom, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> the fact that that you still care about the podcast and and get in touch and sign up on Patreon or talk to us on Twitter or get in the comments section, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, except for you, you know who you are. We we really appreciate it, and it means the world to us. And I I know I speak for Tim and Clive and uh, Paul, who's been kicked off the pod, and Scott and everyone when I say that. Uh, we, we feel very fortunate to have the listeners that we do, that it has been a tremendous experience for us and hopefully uh, will continue to be a fun experience for you. So with that nonsense out of the way, um, Tim, they have named Mikel Arteta first team coach, now uh, first team manager. Now, there's a lot of jokes that could be made here, right? Like all it took was a year and a half of Raul and Emery doing the director of football and, and head coach uh, model for them to get scared and go running back to the safety of Arsenal first team manager. Before we talk about Arteta's ability to live up to this and whether it's fair and all the ramifications, because I think there's a lot to dig into here, does it show a lack of... I don't I don't want to frame it purely in the negative because I think there's a lot of positives here. But is there any part of you that finds that there is a lack of sort of philosophical integrity behind the decision to move away from Arsene Wenger, create this sort of more stratified, modern approach, technical director, director of football, head coach, and then within one cycle run away from it? Is Do you have any sense that it really demonstrates at the very top of the club how little adherence there is to any one philosophy, or do you see it differently? A, a, a little bit, yeah. I mean, so these announcements, basically these announcements are a way of saying this is kind of how things have been running, and um, we're going to make the announcements almost, um, you know, as well, not almost, but as a consequence of that. So this is not them saying, ah, oh, I've got an idea. Why don't we make um, Mikel Arteta the head, to, you know, the the first team coach or whatever they're calling him now, uh, first team manager rather. I mean, that's they, they said themselves, that's kind of already what's happening. I see this as more of a comms move than anything. Okay. And Vinay said, um, you know, that he, he wanted to be clearer on comms. That was something that he really wanted to do. Um, you know, I guess to make the job his own. And I guess what they're doing is uh, that they recognize that at least on the surface of it, there's a gap there now with Raul gone. And Vinay's the CEO and he's not, you know, quote unquote, a football man. Um, he is a commercial and businessman. Is, is um, he that though? Are we sure he's that too? Well, <laughs> well there, there, there are questions about that. Um, but but that that's, that's his stuff. And then we've got Arteta and Edu and they're, football men effectively and and what this is Arsenal's kind of way of saying is we're not hiring someone else to do whatever the hell Raul was doing um you know court agents or whatever um th this is a clean break from that so instead of you know instead of it looking like um you know we got rid of someone and then we aren't hiring it's just the roles and responsibilities have changed slightly and i imagine that this is stuff that was already happening and part of the reason raul was squeezed out anyway is because they started to consider him a little bit redundant because arteta was very hands on um and always has been and look on on one hand you might question um, well, I, I guess the question is, is Arteta up to that? Because at like Liverpool and Manchester City, obviously they have lots and lots of staff doing lots of different things, but Klopp and Guardiola are not head coaches. Um, no way. Mm. Um, and, and therefore, like, 
and, and, and Arteta's very much in that mould. He's very much a figurehead. I think he's wanted to be that from day one. I think we've needed that um, as well, just because I don't really think anyone else at the club really naturally steps into that into that kind of role. And Raul didn't really, or he mistreated that role a little bit, I think. Um, and I think this is just a way of saying, okay, we tried something, things got a bit sloppy, here's how it is now or here's how it was really running and we're just updating everyone's job titles to reflect that so i i see this as a kind of you know when people start um for example the word literally right mm. people ironically misuse the word literally all the time and it happens so often that they just end up changing the meaning in the dictionary and that's kind of what yeah. this is you know when people start using language a certain way eventually the dictionary or the people in charge of the dictionary just go okay everyone's saying this now so that's the way it is and that that's kind of how that's literally how i see this yeah so Clive, I'll, I'll let you say the right thing and then I'll say all the wrong things, which is sort of the progression of uh, express, expression of ideas on this podcast. But in in terms of Arteta being up for this, I mean, how do you feel this changes what he has to do? I mean, is this purely a title change to really establish him as the the character at the club? I mean, there's a part of it that you could just say they really want the identity of the football club to be Arteta right now. And so this move really puts him front and center so that there isn't that vacuum of identity and character. I mean, you look at the uh, Adidas video that came out, you know, the family, the, this is our family video, and it's so moving and it's so stirring. And he, he, he really has that gravitas and that, that charisma to be the character. Do you see it as a sort of a purely PR-driven change, or do you think this will change fundamentally the role he has at the club day to day? Well, firstly, it's just about change, right? So this is just a change cycle, right? So with my work hat on, there's, a, there's a, like a change cycle called <laughs> forming, storming, norming, then performing, right? So <laughs> I have not I heard felt that when, one. <laughs> um, yeah, when I when I sort of um when Emery came in, this is why I didn't want Arteta to be the original manager because I just felt we were going to go through this change and and. The first part of the change is we're going to try something different. We're going to move away from what we used to do. So it's going to be a natural zigzag. It's almost like Obama to Trump. It's natural, right? It's one extreme to the other. And then there's going to be like a, once you go through that, there's going to be a a, a bit of a tear up, a bit of a fight, a bit of a repositioning. And, and we've gone through that. And now we've gone through the management change. And now we have the right guy in charge. Now we can really look at ourselves and look for stability and normalize who we are. Right, so you're you're going to hear words like stability going forward. We now have clarity. We now have much less layers. And COVID just an umbrella for this, right? They were heading this way. Just natural. Put these people in the, in the melting pot. See who comes out of it on top. This is what we have. And the smartest person in this for me has been Edu, because he's had a good look around. And he said, hey, man, Mikhail's the man. I'm moving offices. I'm going to London Colony. <laughs> like, I'm going to sit next to him. I'm going to travel on the team coach. I'm going to be right next to this guy. But when they go to reorganize the place. It's kind of like Matthew Flamini being best friends with Mesut Ozil. Yeah, oh, perfect. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what to do. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. So it is real smart. I'm going to start talking my language. And, and so they've... So they've aligned themselves to the partnership. So that just put Raul made him redundant straight away. And then I let it happen because that sorts him out. There's no more duality at the top layer there. 
I'm now going to be the CEO. And this is great. This is just change, right? So I'm laughing away to myself because now we have something that's pretty clear. We have the, we have the Fantastic Four. We pay on the, on, in, in the other square box. Uh, and so basically, and we were looking at this group thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. I read somewhere today, the average age of this four is 38. That's mm. fantastic. That is longevity right there if they do their jobs right. That's amazing. We've yeah. gone away from, was it Neil Banfield and <laughs> people like that? <laughs> 107, you know, after it's yeah. just, we've just changed. We've changed completely. So this, I don't worry about Arteta at all. You know, we're all pretty strong about him. But I think from an organisation point of view, I think this is really positive. And it feels better than the previous org chart that we've seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm really um, in a good place with this. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Arsene Wenger, right, I mean, a lot of people think he was at his best when he had David Dean with him, you know, someone who could influence his decisions. It's not that Wenger didn't still have authority, but he had someone he trusted. So I think it boils down to what's the trust between Edu and Arteta? What's that dynamic like? Is Edu sharp enough to really identify what Arteta needs so that Arteta will trust when he says, I need something like this. He trusts Adu and his team to go out and find that because what I don't think you want is Arteta having to also scour the planet for the right players, right? I mean, there's only so much he can do. And, and the idea behind a technical director is that when the coach says what he needs, the technical director activates his team of people to go find some candidates that fill that need so that the, the manager doesn't, ideally doesn't have to go do that work. Um, you know, I, I think I have a few conflicting attitudes to this. First of all, it's very clear that I look at it now that Raul was um, was surplus to requirements, right? He wasn't necessary. And it's not just that he wasn't necessary. He made himself such a big presence at the club that he was a person we probably didn't need, but he also needed to be in the center of everything happening. And that wasn't going to work. And whether you think that he was you know, bent or just irrelevant or somewhere in between. I think it's great, obviously, that he's been moved on. Um, the part of me that hesitates on this is just that we're optimists. I, I know you're saying, Elliot, you're not an optimist. I am an optimist. I mean, talk to any of these guys, see what I'm thinking before the game. I'm always an optimist before things happen. You want to be an optimist. We have fallen in love with Arteta. Easy to do. Good looking, former captain, speaks brilliantly, seems to have great philosophies about football, comes in having sat by Pep Guardiola's side. So he, you know, he has that that tutelage to a type of football and an approach to football that I think we would aspire to. But it's easy to forget at 38, this is his first coaching job. He's not even a season into it. He's come into what Vinay Venkatesham says is the hardest period in the history of Arsenal Football Club. And you might say, well, there was that whole thing with the Nazis. Um, but he says Ken Fryer claims that this is the hardest period in the history of the football club. So Ken would know. Um, and now this young man, first year into his coaching job, is being asked to be at a club going through tremendous upheaval in its hardest period and now take on more responsibility. And so while I believe if anyone can do it, he can. If I'm excited for anyone to try, it's him. If there's anyone I want to get behind, it's him. I love him being the focal point of the club because he seems to have the, the identity and the character to carry that weight. But for someone who is trying to learn to do a job that is very, very hard, and then without even having a year of normal operation within which to learn the trade, being asked to take on more responsibility, it's a lot. I mean, Arsene Wenger was a relative unknown, but he had actually done a lot in the game when he became Arsenal's manager, right? Um, you mentioned Guardiola and Klopp, Tim, in terms of they are clearly not just coaches, but Guardiola and Klopp have, again, similarly, 
done a lot in the game prior to arriving at Liverpool and uh, or City and Liverpool respectively. So it's not that I don't think Arteta has it in him. There's a part of me that just thinks it's a little unfair to make this 38-year-old first-time head coach a savior of a club in need. Um, and again, not me saying he can't do it, not me saying I don't want to see him given the opportunity, just me saying it, it feels unfair. Kind of like, you know, thrusting William Saliba out there on opening day of the season because Louise is injured and having to have a 19-year-old be the savior of your defense. There's just certain things you'd like to ease people into. But Tim, I'll let you weigh in on that, whether you, whether you think I'm just being hysterical like I usually am, or if there is something to the mm-hmm. idea that he's, Clive is nodding, you can't see him nodding, but he believes that I am being hysterical as usual, which is fair. Um, again, I, I want to be clear. Not that I don't think Arteta can do it. It's just ideally he would have had a more tranquil environment within which to come into the job with, before being piled on with more responsibility. But who knows? Maybe giving him the manager position and more responsibility is what it will take for him to really be willing to stay here and be part of this project longer instead of saying, what have I walked into? So Tim, in terms of that, but also the relationship with Adu, you know, there was a part of me that's like, well, with Arteta getting this promotion, Adu's gone, right? Like, what's he doing? But then I thought about what you said on one of our podcasts about Adu in Brazil and what made him special with, I think it was Chite, right? Yeah. That what makes Edu special is the way he forms these relationships with the manager. And the manager, in that case, Chite, the, the relationship they formed and how well they worked together and the success that it brought. So do you think that that's really the crux of it here? That if there's one thing that's Edu's superpower as a technical director, it's connecting with his coach, it's building that relationship and really understanding that coach and, and bonding with him. So do you think, do you see Edu succeeding because that's <clears throat> how he's succeeded in the past? Is that... Is that a fair interpretation of what you've said previously? Yeah, yeah. I think this job is much more towards that. And, um, you know, Clive referenced uh, the age of this structure. Um, and I tweeted about that last night. And actually, someone we I, I left out of that as well is Josh Kroenke, who is kind of de facto running the club, also pretty, pretty young um, as well. Um, but yeah, th- this to me looks much more like um, Edu doing a quote unquote football job. And as, mm. as much as, you know, Edu's 42, he has been doing this role for nearly 10 years now because uh, he retired early and he was given a job straight away at Corinthians. Um, another thing that Edu did as well during um, during his kind of time just before he took over with Brazil was he spent a lot of time at Ernst & Young um, to be in like a proper corporate environment because mm. his thinking was, okay, I know football, but that doesn't mean I know how to be like a technical director. That doesn't mean I know how organizations run. Um, and so he spent some time at places like Ernst & Young, um, just kind of getting, I guess, that stuff that footballers don't get. What what do people do in offices, for example? Mm, yeah. And um, so one of the things he did at Brazil was to really... It depends because 15 years, 20 years ago, it was like Tetris. Now it might be Candy Crush <laughs> or far, what's the, of the farm... Farmville, or whatever. yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what yeah, people yeah, do yeah. in offices. <laughs> <laughs> but like he did stuff like at the CBF and he really professionalized things. And he said, no, no, we're wearing suits to work and we're working like eight till six office mm. hours. Um, you know, you're not just a bunch of ex-footballers who come in here in your tracksuit bottoms and your boots still on um, anymore. So he, he does have that kind of side of it as well. I, I think that this will be much more comfortable um, for Edu, rather than having Raul there, I didn't. I, I never really understood the interrelation between Edu and Raul Sanyehi. 
Um, I, you know, that's that's not to say they didn't understand it, but I never understood it. I never well, really that's in part because Raul never let Edu talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. I never really understood that separation of responsibilities, and and I definitely see this as my, and and look as we've said before. Edu knows the agent game as well. He swum with those sharks. You know, Kia's his mate as well. And, and you know, not just Kia. Like, he, he knows his way around that. Um, you know, particularly in Brazil, that, that market is most big players have third-party owners as well. So doing transfers in Brazil is complicated. You own 30% of the player. They might get some of the shirt rights and all of that. Like it, They're more complicated transfers, particularly for big players. So he does know that side of things. And, um, you know, to Clive's point about him being quite clever, he is the oldest person in that structure now. He's the most experienced um, in terms of football administration. Um, so that, but but what it does is it puts um, it puts the spotlight on him a little bit more where it hasn't been before. But I, I do think that this is this is going to be a much more comfortable role for him. I do really get the sense that he gels with uh, with Mikel Arteta, um, and they kind of sing from that same hymn sheet. But even from day one, actually, one of the things Edu said um, was that he wanted to be close to the players that he almost wanted to be like that figure that's not the coach, that's not a teammate, but that other guy. So mm. he said when he arrived, I want to be at the training ground. I want to, I want the players to, you know, to confide in me and I want to know how they're feeling um, and things like that. And also, you know, look, one of, one of the things we do know that he was supposed to be in charge of as technical director is setting down a style of play and recruiting to it. Now, it makes sense for him to have a very close relationship with the manager, particularly if Arsenal are serious about Arteta and think they've got the right guy for the next few years. Um, and they think, well, okay, let's recruit to Arteta style. And actually Arteta style is a very modern style anyway. Um, it's not like absolutely unique, not so unique that, oh my God, if Arteta resigns in 18 months, who are we going to get to pick this up? This is kind of the way like he's, he's, uh, I guess a bit more at the zeitgeist um, of football at the moment, but uh, yeah. So, so I, I think, I think um, I see this as a bit of a promotion for Edu in that it's not quite Raul Sanyehi's role, but it's, it's more than he was doing. Um, and yeah, Edu, Edu's, he's, you know, he's quite, he's a personal, he's a personable guy um, who likes to build relationships. Um, and I said as well, look, that another big part of his role particularly with Brazil was convincing some of the young players with dual nationality to come and play for Brazil um, so he did that with Martinelli for example um, and, and and you know because they Brazil had lost players to, to other nations and, and it was part of his job was to go and woo them and say look we're going to put you in the under 20s now but so don't go off and run off to another country and get your cap because we've got a plan for you for the next few years um, so, you know, the, the whole like attracting players to the club part, um, I, I think he's kind of got that as well. So, um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying he's brilliant and he's amazing and this is going to be perfect. But um, I think this is this is much more in line with his skill set. And I agree with Clive. I think he's I think he's played a bit of a blinder here. Yeah, and the noises coming out suggest that they are going to lean on data, that they do have a team that they trust. That they've leaned, you know, they've made this a leaner operation. It's not scouts sitting in the stands all over the world. It's analysts, you know, finding potential candidates and then doing some scouting once you've sort of zeroed in on them. And I, I like that. I mean, you know, I mean, I think if you've got the right people identifying the right targets, then the guys in charge have a lot easier job. And you know, I think Raúl stood in the way of that process operating the way it should. So there's a lot of good noises here. And, and look, Clive, I, I want to clarify, I am thrilled with Arteta being given this opportunity. 
I think the club needed, you know, the one thing we learned under Emery, the head coach thing might work, but this is a club right now that needs someone to be its identity. Klopp is the identity at Liverpool. Pep is the identity at at City. Um, you know, if you look, the irony is why I like the head coach director of football model. If you look at the clubs that have been in the wilderness, you know, if, you, if you look at United, is Solskjaer the, the identity of that club? You know, is Lampard maybe wants to be at Chelsea, but Abramovich really is always going to be the identity there. Um, you know, Pochettino, Spurs achieved all they did under Pochettino, which I should remind you is the sum total of fuck all, um, because he he kind of became that identity, but never really a communicator, language barrier being the, the primary reason for that. I feel that Arsenal already has a bit of an identity back thanks to Arteta. That part of it is clear, and I think it's good, and I think as a communicator and as a a character, he's someone that we can feel good about. You were sort of shaking your head at my concerns about him taking on more responsibility at this stage of his career. So maybe you can kind of give me reasons not to worry that for someone who's not even a season into his career, first time coaching a team... In the you know in the in, and and it's the era of COVID with all of the weirdness that goes on there, and now he has really more on his plate. So, for you, why is it that that's n- not a concern? I think it's just a work style thing. Mm. I think um, he has a way of pr- approaching the job. As soon as he walks in, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, you, I learn a lot from the first day videos. <laughs> I remember watching Emery's first day video. And he came in and he walked to the group of players and he stepped back about a yard and he beckoned them over and they all had to walk forward like a yard or so to go and listen to him. And I thought, you're a bit of an authoritarian, are you? You like the people to dance to your tune, which is great as long as your tune is good. The moment your tune is off off key, you're in trouble with this group. That's exactly what happened. And that's where he died at Baku. I think... Arteta, I remember watching him walk in on that first day and everybody in that video was so happy to see him. And some of those faces, you recognised him from the, the guy that runs um, Colney, etc. All of the analyst guys, they, they knew who he was. He knew who they were. And he was like, immediately the day he walked in, he was a manager. He was the person people wanted. So they felt he was the manager. I think it's a work style thing. You're looking at his roles and responsibilities. I felt he's already taken that on. And all it was was about the club recognising his abilities, looking at the model and streamlining. I know we dismiss Ralph. I know know we dismiss Emery, but I've always felt we need to go that path. I felt with Ralph, for example, we lost Wenger. We needed somebody with a football reputation, right? Because we didn't really have that in the club. We were football like we have a very aged board, we have absent owners. We needed somebody who knew something about football. Mm. Whether we agree with it or not, we, it's, it's a big loss. Wenger did five jobs. To suddenly lose that, you have to replace him with three or four people. And it didn't quite work out to swing things, but you can see the intention was good. So now we are where we are with Arteta. I think he, he this is who he is. He can't change his work style. We all have our work styles at work. He can't change his. He's, he's, a, he's a manager of people. He wants to connect. He wants relationships. He wants to manage. And so it's for him. It's just a job title change, not a work style change. And so I see this as a real, real positive alignment. Right? And I think there's one more, I've said it before, there's one more announcement for me. I think there may be some, one more coach or so. But I really feel if they're smart, 
they need to make a high profile data announcement mm. just to make it a three way three way chair in that football side of things because that's where they're going you can see it already and so to make that really stand up you make the announcement and then we can all see it it's all clear it's clarified they will work you know under edu and arteta and that person needs to be someone just name as soon as we name it we know it somebody's heading stat dna now i don't know who it is right so but as soon as they make that person high profile then we'll be good Get that person out of there. Get Ted Knutson from StatsBomb in. <clears throat> Problem solved. I kid, but, you know, Arsenal fan, brilliant yeah. guy, I, um, great company. Yeah, Tim? <laughs> Can I just come in? I, I just yeah. wanted to add something to what Clive said there, just, um, I guess, anecdotally. Uh, when Clive was talking about when a, when a manager walks in, it just immediately brought to my mind um, this anecdote that Ian Wright tells on, I think it's on the Ian Wright Legend DVD, and he talks about the day Bruce Rioch walked in. And I he tells this story it. and it's on camera and it's, it is so weird that he remembered it, but he says like, I went to shake Bruce Rioch's hand and I put my hand out. Um, if you're watching on zoom, you can see, put my hand out in the conventional open palm mm -hmm. way. And he said like Rioch went to kind of do, you know, like a high five kind of thing. And so there was just this really awkward handshake and Ian Wright says, he said from that moment, I knew something was off. He just said like, Mm, that didn't like he's like i i know a bit about you you're not a you know you're not a high five guy so <laughs> what you know and he literally said what's that about and he just said from the first second i met him i just knew that we weren't going to click and 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 so i just wanted to kind of add that anecdote to clive's kind of I, I, there are so many parallels between Rioch and emery and i just think that's yeah. another really interesting one you know, those emery Rioch parallels i've got people who've been who told me that online and i argued against them at the time so i need to put my hand up and apologize <laughs> to them because i didn't want to see it because i wanted to really embrace the change and um but you know what when you look back oh my goodness I, it really is it really but again i still felt we needed Rioch we could see Benga. I really believe that. I mean, we need to see the bad side to see ourselves to work out what we actually need. We've done the same thing again now. Yeah. I, look, I I love Arteta, and I, I you know it's hard, right? Because there's a part of me, guys, that like I want to check my biases. I always want to make sure that my opinions are based on the evidence and based on objectivity, if possible. And look, that's not fun. Let me be clear about something. Part of being a fan is being an optimist, is loving your team, is loving your coach, is getting behind it. And so doing a podcast where you just cheerlead is no fun. You, you want to try to be objective, but leaning into optimism, leaning into loving your club is not a bad thing. So I try to say like, all right, I look at Emery Pod number one. And if you ever want to listen to Emery Pod number one, uh, it's called the Emery Bombshell. You will hear in no uncertain terms <clears throat> that I was very clear about my thoughts on Emery and that I wanted Arteta. So I, I've always wanted Arteta from, from the word go. Uh, we had to do a second Emery pod to basically apologize for the first Emery pod because people don't want to be brought down. So I, I want to be an optimist, but I also want to look and say like, okay, if Chelsea made Lampard manager and, you know, elevated his position, would we, we be laughing at them or envious of them? You know, what do we think of him? If, they, if United did that to Solskjaer, how would we react? I think Arteta is well beyond both of them. I think his his... Style of communication, his philosophy about football. We've already seen tactically what he does, I think, being beyond what those two do. I think, you know, studying under Pep, certainly. All I'm trying to do is pull myself out of the emotional attachment to Arteta, which is already so strong, and see if I can get 
some degree of objectivity about a 38-year-old first-time coach coming into the game at a really tumultuous period at a club, experiencing a lot of upheaval, and now being handed more responsibility and saying, logically, do I see that being the right move? If anyone can handle it, I'm backing Arteta to handle it. Okay, so I I like this. I'm excited about this. You know, look, I got teared up at that uh, Adidas video. He understands what the club is about in a way that Emery never could. And sometimes, you know, I think we saw this with Emery. If the players don't like you, they won't follow you. So your ideas don't matter if no one wants to hear them. You know, if you're deeply unlikable and have great ideas, that's that doesn't work. Um, you know, a lot of people think that a coach is only worth a couple of points in either direction. Um, but I think what we've seen with bad coaches is they can completely scuttle your season because the players will just stop following you. And with Arteta, the one thing I believe is that they will follow him into battle, that they trust him and they they will follow him. So I'm very excited about this. I just, you know, I always try to say, is there an objective view that that's different from the emotional view? The emotional view is love it's, him, hope he stays forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It basically, it's a good idea as long as he's good. Yeah. Um, and again, just like drawing back into Arsenal history, Arsenal gave that power to Arsene Wenger and largely it was a good idea for, for, for the most part. And you go back even further, they did that for Herbert Chapman and actually something fairly similar happened there. The owner who brought him in, Henry Norris, hugely transformational, but he was the man at Arsenal. And um, what happened was Herbert Chapman didn't win anything for five years and a lot of people think that's because it took five years to get his ideas across. It wasn't. It's because Henry Norris was there. Henry Norris was banned from football in 1929. Arsenal won their first trophy in 1930. Mm. The reason that happened is because when Norris went, Arsenal went, oh shit, Um, Herbert, we're just going to let you do everything. (laughs) And they gave him complete control and even stuff like renovating the stadium. He was just like, right, need like, um, you know, bear in mind, this is like the 30s, need a couple of hundred grand to upgrade the East Stand. They went, yep, yep, we'll do that. We'll sign that check. There you go. And as long as the person is good, that's a great idea. It's it's all about whether they're good enough. Yeah, because look, we did try to talk Mm. ourselves into Emery. I think we all had reservations, so it's not a similar situation. I, I think we were very much trying to talk ourselves into Emery there. Um, Clive, why don't you wrap us up on this topic, because then I want to get to the Fulham game and, and some of the stuff that came in the press conference about just individual player situations before this winds up being the, the two-hour fiasco that, that it's headed towards. Yeah, let's let it roll and see how we go. <laughs> I think um, you know, when I saw the organizational stuff last night on The Athletic, I thought to myself, yeah, this is really good. And then immediately I thought, okay, say Arteta goes, because football's football, right? Mm-hmm. If he makes a bad substitution, we're like, we're going off our heads, let alone lose three games on the trot. So um, so football could change really, really quickly. And But I do think they've noted that in the summer conversation since that, you know, if we have to change the manager with a technical, technical director there, we'll have a level of continuity. That's what they feel. And I'm thinking the next person in charge will have to be another manager. It will need to be somebody that we identify with as a as a proper manager who's had you know, a decent sized club on his CV, for example. So there is a bit more of a strategy going forward about what we are going to be and what we're going to look like. But my feeling is listening to um, Tim before historically and watching Edu work and watching how he's worked with previous managers, he wouldn't surprise me <laughs> if, if Arteta went one day, he's going to go upward. And, and Eddie's the sort of person that may go with him, right? So we do, we do need to future-proof ourselves, be aware of this. 
and uh, make sure that, you know, they've got the keys to the kingdom, but we've still got to make sure we look and make sure it's been done appropriately. So, um, but yeah, the future is going to be so exciting and um, I'm on the optimistic side. Elliot, come with me, my yeah, son. Yeah, no, I'm, I, look, I'm with you. I, I, I am optimistic. I mean, I still think it comes down to players and we have some work to do there. So let's transition to that. Um, so first, let's start with the players who are Arsenal players. And I guess the first thing to unpick, let's get to the defense first. Um, Clive, I'll stick with you for a second. David Luiz injury, we don't know how long it'll be. There were some reports that it could be a while. I, I'm hopeful that's not the case. Um, but it's certainly going to leave him out for the Fulham game. There's no Socrates. There's no David Luiz. There's no um, uh, Mustafi. It's really looking like one of Saliba, Gabrielle, and in the possibility both Saliba and Gabrielle could start in this game. So I'm curious... Do you think that um, it'll be one of those two? How do you see the the back line shaking out for this game? And, you know, how concerned are you about them both potentially having to be thrust in the Premier League from day one with no preseason? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, man, I missed that bit. Um, I'm, I'm not worried about it. Gabriel, maybe. Uh, we. I'm not sure what his training regime was like beforehand. Obviously, in the French League, they, they finished early. So he hasn't played a lot of football you know, for quite a long time. So I think Sleeper will be more ready. And I, I just think for continuity, we'll just stay with the back three. I think we'll have Holding, Tierney and um, Sleeper in the back three. And we'll just have um, Bellerin and, and Maitland-Niles in the wide areas and just go from there. It just makes sense to continue what we've done quite well. And uh, we can choose any configuration up front based on health and fitness. But I just think that just makes sense. I know, you know people have been looking at the video goal of the Aston Villa goal when Birmingham scored from the car park, right? I'm stuck in the top corner. Um, and everyone's looking at the front four configuration with um, Willian in there as well and Pepe and Lacazette. And that feels quite exciting, doesn't it? So mm. Watching them dart around the screen. That could easily happen. That would be quite a brave step maybe, but maybe not. Pull them away, let's go and attack them. So if that's the case, then... Potentially, we could see the two new signings start with maybe holding on the bench just because it looks better, you know, um, mm. left foot, a left foot, a right foot, a sort of thing. So, and I, I never worry about these things. The sooner we see this, the better. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I'm not afraid of it. Let's see it. Let's assess it. Let them, let them understand this league as quick as we can, because um, we know these players are our future for certain, particularly the two new ones. And we're all dead, dead excited to see them play together. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if you had to start two young, brand new center backs with no preseason uh, preparation whatsoever, a way to Fulham with no fans in the stands would probably be the way you would start that. Um, I still think that it's a big ask, obviously just having never played together, never played in the system. I mean, it really is... It would be like a preseason game for them, but it counts. So it's it's asking a lot, and they're young players, and they've just arrived. I mean, Tim, we talked a little bit offline before we came on about how this might shake out, and you envisioned maybe a system similar to the cup final that would allow it to be one from those two. Is is that what you want to go on record with here? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, we might... I'll row back from what I said the other day about Gabriel because I hadn't quite appreciated, the, obviously, the French League finished so early and he hasn't played for quite a while um and yeah I, I i gather he's been training like everyone else but but maybe the lack of minutes in his legs makes that 
um, you know, makes that not dangerous. So I, I think I think generally fans worry too much about that. Like, oh, God, this guy can't make his debut today. And, you know, in, in the normal run of things, I'd say he's 22. He costs 27 million pounds. He'll be fine. Like uh, people said it about Bern Leno when we had him like, oh, can Bern Leno start? And it was like he was 26 and he played for Germany and he had like 200 games or something. Um, and I know Gabriel's not quite there, but I think one thing that probably um, kind of makes it an easy decision not to start him is is just having Tierney there. He's the left footer. Mm. He's played that role. Um, playing Maitland-Niles at left wing back uh, with Bellerin at right wing back, it's just an easy decision to make. Um, and then perhaps having holding to the right and Saliba in the middle, I, I think that's probably what we'll do. And Saliba as well, um, you know, he did he play the French Cup semi-final or was it just the final that was... He, I mm. think he played the semi. He, d- he didn't yeah. play the final. That was the whole, uh, the whole kerfuffle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah he didn't play the final. I do but... see Saliba on the right, actually, Tim, and, and uh, holding in the middle, only because he's done it before. That's the only reason. But um... Yeah, but, but Saliba's like, trained with Arsenal like a fair bit. He's been training with us the whole summer. He's he's probably a, a bit more ready um to do that. And and yeah, and we've already got the left footer in Tierney. So that's how I see it happening. Yeah, Clive. Do you do Yeah, you, I'm, yeah. I'm with that. Uh, I'm with that. It just makes sense. Some don't over sometimes don't overcoach. Just keep it simple. I mean I could definitely see a scenario where Arteta would have liked to have started a back four against Fulham in the first game of the season, but he hasn't had any time to work on it. And now he's taking out players that are familiar with him makes it even harder. I mean, the idea that you're not only going to start one or potentially two brand new center backs, but also maybe start a new forward in Willian and do it um, in a new system that no one's played. It's just, it feels like too many changes for a game that you'd like to think we could manage our way through, even in the back three, even if we're maybe not as potent going forward as we might be otherwise. Um, Regarding Willie and Clive, what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, Arteta really made a point to talk up his league experience and that he looks great in training. Do you think he'll get a first start in the first game? Uh, I've got a funny feeling that Saka may get the first start. I just think he's um, a little bit fitter. And from I'm just guessing he's played under played under twenty one games. He also played um, in the Community Shield. I only pictures of Pepe I've seen with his new baby, as Tim will say, as he's yawning on screen. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's really hard. You don't get the, the regular sleep that you normally get. Particularly Still not so. getting it. Nine months later, this baby's killing me. <laughs> and and so, yeah, and, and William, obviously, he's he's new. We don't know where he is fitness-wise as well. So, yeah, it just maybe go with Saka and um, Bamiyang and one of Eddie or Naka up front, again, which is the fittest one. Could be Eddie. We'll we'll see. But I know we are only down to three subs, but there's there's those good options on the bench and to change things really quickly, lose a defender and and flip to four extra forward, for example. So I'm pretty relaxed about it really. Long, I, I'm almost in some ways I want it to be very similar because I want continuity. There's a good feeling about us on the pitch and almost by not changing too much, you get a natural continuity. And, and that continuity is based on being hard to beat. That gives us a chance to start off now, you know, against other teams who haven't had the, the late cup runs that we've had, for example. So we're in a good place, and I just want to see that continue. And there's going to be a moment in the season where we get more legs, fit legs, and we'll all go, okay, now it's time for a change. Mm. So we will we'll yeah. know it. We'll, it's time for a change. This is the game, home game, we need a change. And it'll be obvious in that moment is there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's weird in a way, right? Because Saka has the experience with Arsenal, but William has the Premier League experience. And in a game where you really want to attack from the start and put them to the sword and really try to get this off on the right foot against a weaker side, like, you could almost say go with the experienced player, which is William, right? Not Saka. Now, Saka has the experience at Arsenal. If there's anyone that's going to be able to slot right in, I think, and be effective immediately, it's a player with his... I hate to use the word experience uh, because it sounds like I'm just calling him old, but let's be fair. He's he's also old, but he's in great shape. Arteta said he'd been training well. I mean, one thing, interestingly, is actually the player... I, I don't think... Was he away with Brazil? Tim, he, he wasn't away with Brazil, right? He, no, uh, so... Brazil haven't played. Right, so... I mean, in a way, if Saka was off on international duty and William was with the club, you could argue that he's more sort of prepared, ironically, because he's kind of been training with the club. The players that stayed behind might might be in a little better shape to start tomorrow. So let's get into the, the nitty-gritty of some of the other, let's say, shall we say, more troubling player issues. Um, Tim, he was asked, obviously, about Martinez, about Ozil, about Ganduzi. Um, He made the point that, look, players want, and I think Maitland-Niles can be lumped in there because he, he made a couple of points. He said, look, players want guarantees to, about playing and about being first choice. We can't give that. You can't give a player guarantees about that. If they get to start, it's their place until they lose it, right? I mean, he he, he made that point very clearly that if I give someone a, a place, it's theirs and until there's a reason it's not theirs. Um, but let's take these one at a time. In terms of Genduzi, which is the one that I think there's the most to it, he was... Very uh, specific to say that he's trained well, that he's back with the group, that he did well with France. You know, he didn't say, I'm going to start him or anything, but Ganduzi has been out in the cold to the point where he's just not mentioned, not discussed, he's persona non grata completely. These comments are sort of the first time Arteta has really referenced him and, and referenced him in a somewhat positive way, I guess you could say. Um, so are you convinced that this is representative of, of a thawing and maybe of him staying and and working back towards a place or again just rehabilitating the the reputation of a player we'd we'd desperately like to move i'd call it um for people who are clued up on Britpop, um the mid 90s uh brilliant musical move, movement uh in the uk there was a band called the blue tones who had a song called slight return and that's that's what i'd I, i'd call this a slight return i i think gendouzi will be on the bench um and i think I think he'll be slightly reintegrated into the squad, particularly with the deadline day coming up. And the second someone puts in a good offer or we can part exchange him, he'll be out of here. But I don't think, I think we've moved away from the complete don't even come into the stadium, you know, don't come to training. So that like he's training. So obviously we know as an absolute fact, there has been some sort of thawing because he wasn't even training with the first team. Mm. Um, whether it's um, all is forgiven, you are, you know, back as you were. No, I don't think so. I still think, I still think he's on the market, um, and probably one of the best ways of putting him on the market is by putting him in the squad. I think I, I still think you know Arteta will be very set on Jacker and Sabios, and that that's a very easy way of putting Genduzi on the bench because he can say justifiably, "These are my guys. These have been my guys for the last couple of months. They know what they're doing. They're in there." But Genduzi's kind of in the squad, on the bench. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's a pragmatic choice. And then whatever happens before October the 6th, if we can't sell him, then we've already done that that reintegration bit. So it won't just be a massive surprise if the game after October the 6th, he's all of a sudden back in the squad. So 
I think that this, I still think Arteta doesn't want him. I still think the club want to sell him um, or to part exchange him to make way for someone they do want, both because of his personality and probably his playing style as well. Um, but I, I, I expect him to be on the bench tomorrow. Not sure he'll come on um, because Xhaka and Ceballos don't tend to get hooked. So unless there's a problem there, I think he might be unused. Um, and I think as we get further towards the window, we might see him get more and more minutes. That The marker for me, assuming I'm right about this and he's in the squad, will be that Leicester-Carabao Cup game because that's the one where Arteta won't want to play Xhaka or Ceballos. He probably won't even want to take them with him. Um, and does Genduzi start that game? And I think that's when maybe things really start to shake out a bit more. Um, yeah, and, and to that point, actually, I, I wanted to add really quickly just on the back three and the transition away yeah, from please. that, mm -hmm. and the, the kind of, I guess, transition towards the new guys. When you look at our fixture list, we've got Liverpool, Man City, like we've got them all early. So I think we'll kind of stick with, um, the back three and once that log jam is out of the way that is the point where you might see okay we've had those tough games we've integrated the young players a bit now let's look at playing some different systems mm, yeah I mean I, I agree with a lot of that I, I mean I think the problem you're going to run into is we know we're after midfielders I don't know if we'll get both of the midfielders that have been referenced I think we'll get one I mean I guess it's possible we'd get none but I do think we'll bring in a midfielder I think Arteta knows that Ganduzi might be someone who's willing to fight his way back in to some extent, but if he gets further away from being a first-choice player, if you've got Chaka and you've got Ceballos and, you know, Ganduzi's fighting for a role in there, but now you bring in a party or you bring in an ally or, God forbid, both, um, the further Ganduzi gets from being first-choice, I think the more it's going to be difficult for him to keep his, let's say, character issues under wraps. And so I can understand why Arteta might just say, look, He's not my first choice, and I don't have the patience for dealing with a precocious young player who causes problems if he's not first choice, so off he goes. Clive, do you see the Ganduzi situation any differently? And maybe uh, while you're answering that, I, I don't think we need to speak to Mesut Ozil. He referenced him. I, I don't think anything's changed there, so I don't think there's anything particularly valuable. But we can also start to shift to the Martinez situation because uh, he mentioned that too. So first on Ganduzi and second, if you take anything away from his comments on on a hint at what we might do with Martinez, who is pretty strongly linked, I think, towards Villa. Is that right? Yeah, Villa have offered him around 60K a week and number one shirt and all sorts of guarantees. And for a 28-year-old that spent a lot of time with a coat on rather than playing on the pitch, I think um, it must be tempting for him, even though his home is at Arsenal, for example. But you've got to play, right? He's 28 he can get, you know, he's got you know, nearly eight years ahead of him. He's got to play. This is the moment. This yeah. is the moment for him. It'd be, I wouldn't expect him to fight it out again. I really wouldn't, even though for us it suits us, you know. But, you know, we never thought we'd get 20 million for him six months ago. So sometimes you just got to take it. I know they're looking at that David Rea, um, we've mentioned before. I watched him a few times at Brentford and he is a, he's a, he's a, very unique goalkeeper, incredibly front-footed. He's almost like a sweeper-keeper. You know, he really is. He's one of those players that's redefining the position. And I can see, I can definitely see where Arsenal are looking at him. He's completely different and could offer some more tactical variation. Like the first time when we saw Edison come into the league, we was all you know, eyes wide open. Where did this come from? I mean, his mm. bullet passes out 50, 60 yards. I mean, gee whiz, incredible. 
this guy's got similar capabilities, but he's even more front footed like Manuel Neuer. I mean, he, he plays half out of the pitch, right? So um, that's an interesting one. And whether Arsenal can get him out of there with 10 million in their pocket as a profit, that would be good. Or do they loan somebody else, maybe an older, more experienced guy, and wait for Raya for another year? So we'll see what happens there. And then bank the money for Martinez and use that for somebody in midfield, like a, an hour, really. And I think the more I think about that situation, if Gwen Doozy was to stay, and I don't count that out, if he was to stay, he is a base midfielder. And that sort of reduces the need for a party, even though I feel he'd, he'd be ideal. It reduces that need for one more year, but our eyes is unique. And we haven't got that player in abundance. And that's somebody that, again, like the two centre-halves that we just bought, is going to be the you know a future signing, a future pillar of the club. So... I could see that scenario happening. I really hope Gwen Doozy fixes it because there is something in there. There really is. And I hope he fixes it. He's got so much to fix, so much to be coached about. But some of the things he does have are really natural. Some of his in-game personality and fighting spirit is just a natural thing. Now, some of the things he doesn't do that don't look very attractive is also very natural. You hope you can talk that out of him. But I had his inkling that I hope he can, you know, come back. You know, like if Shaken can come back, he can come back. I really hope he can come back. But if he doesn't, I won't lose any sleep over it. Get the money, bank it. I'd much rather see, you know, the Vieira lookalike in party in the, in the club. And I think that takes us to a new level. But um, if we had to stomach it for a year, I could do that too. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tim, sort of uh, final thoughts on the goalkeeper thing before we get into the game proper. I don't, I don't think there's really anything else to pick out from the... Um, from the press conference in particular, I mean, you know, there there are little bits here and there, but I mean, we could go on for hours and hours on the beautiful words of that fine uh, Arteta and and all of his his good words and stuff. I say articulately, yeah. yeah I mean, um, what's your take on the goalkeeper situation? So I, I I tend to think that Martinez will go because he's the one uh, understandably agitating to go a bit more, and also from Arsenal's point of view, it it's a quicker sale um, than Leno. Um, if they kind of, I say all of a sudden, if they said, no, we're definitely keeping Martinez, it's Leno we're going to sell. I think that would take a bit more time to shake out, whereas the money's on the table, more or less, um, from Aston Villa for Martinez. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things, I think, politically picking Martinez tomorrow might have, um, you know, might have been expedient. But if they want the money, um, then they're going to have to go for it. I guess my misgiving, though, is if we just end up spending most of the uh, and look, it sounds to me like the the kind of the player is forcing this. And again, I understand that, but and and that's something perhaps as fans we don't take into consideration enough. But from Arsenal's point of view, if we sell Martinez for twenty, and his replacement ends up co- costing fifteen, you know, it, it's probably not hugely worth it. I, I would uh, say it's not worth it at all. It doesn't make any sense. No, not even remotely. no, yeah. no. But um, I imagine it would just be because Martinez is saying, look, I absolutely want out and therefore it's a situation Arsenal want to deal with. But it, it probably doesn't then go and generate the funds, which is probably what they what they had in mind when they were thinking about, um, you know, which goalkeeper to sell. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like, look, with Arteta saying basically someone doesn't just lose their place because they might be on the transfer block or whatever, it sounds like Martinez is starting tomorrow. Um that as long as he's at the club, he's the keeper, and he doesn't—he hasn't done anything to lose that role. So that's certainly sounds like that to me. I mean, I guess we'll see. So 
unless you have anything else you want to you don't agree clive you think it'll be leno i do think they this you know this uh starting lineup tomorrow may indicate a few things because i'm still not sure about maitland niles staying mm. that last week just say Saka's playing left wing back. Easy happen for Fulham away. That makes a lot of sense, actually. There's no Mane to go and track. Do you you know certainly I mean? wouldn't want to play a specialist defender at left wing back against yeah. a team that you need to go attack. I mean, if there's one weakness in Maitland-Niles, he's, he's not, he's sure as hell not going to add a lot to the attack, especially from the left-hand side. Yeah, and uh, he needs combination players. And you can see Saka do that in and out role just as well and also get much better delivery on his, on his strong side. So... That's a smart adjustment. And then people immediately think he's made a Niles going. Sunday morning papers, you can imagine them. 25 million bid from Wolves. And suddenly that's all back on again. Bellerin, we're not sure what's happening there. It looks like PSG are sort of freezing on that. We're not too sure. That can change again in a headline or a tweet. So I do think the whole thing is still up in the air. It's going to go this way all the way to October the 6th. And so some of the selectors may tell us a lot more. I'm not feeling Martinez starting tomorrow, to be honest. I'm feeling hmm. Leno starting. So okay. maybe, that, maybe again, I'm, I'm being driven by rumors and conjecture, right? So that's what I'm thinking. So um, Then what's your take on his, his – and I mean, look, sometimes press conferences, we know this from Ar- Arsene Wenger, are notoriously meaningless in terms of what they say and what they actually do. The coaches have no requirement to be honest with us. But what do you take from his comment about, like, just because there's news about a transfer or something like, you know, if they're here, they're my player and the place is theirs until they do anything to lose it. I mean, do you, do you think that that's kind of just words? Because, I mean, if, if that's the case, you would think it's been, it's been Martinez's job. He's done it well. There's no reason to take it away from him, you know? Yeah, you could say that. I, I, I just think he's resetting. I think he's taking control of all the rumors. I mean, he dealt with Lacazette. He's dealt with Gwendoza in his press conference. He spoke briefly about Ozil. You know, he's 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 dealing with this. He's setting the tone. He's saying Lacazette's happy. And we all know that in the background there have been things happening. So there's a tone being set that we're, we've got a game to play. You know what I mean? Let's remember that we've got a game to play. We all, we all got our calculators out on who we can sell, who we can buy. They're the piece thinking, I've got a football match to play on Saturday. I'm going to need Lacazette. You know, he's my centre forward. And he's still here. And he's more experienced than Eddie and Ketia, so I'm going to need him at some point. Let's make him feel good. You know, so I think sometimes you talk to a dressing room on a football basis and let's leave the Sunday morning headlines for the transfer tittle tattle. You know, and I think that's where we're going to go. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's drill into the team a little bit and, and make some predictions and get out of here. So, Tim... I mean, now it's time to put your uh, put your crystal ball to the test. This is a really tough team to pick. Um, mm. I I don't know if I could get within sixty percent of it. What's your uh, What's your guess? So I think Leno's going to start in goal. I think it will be a back three of Saliba, Holding, and Tierney. I think Bellerin will start at right wing back, and Maitland Niles will start. Uh, left wing back, I think we'll have Shaka and Ceballos in midfield. I think that's a pretty easy one. And the front three, Abamyang definitely on the left. Um, I think Lacazette will start up front because Eddie's been away. And uh, I agree with Clive. I think Saka is going to start on the right and we'll leave Pepe and Willian, um, who've both kind of had even shorter pre-seasons than the rest of the team because uh, they've been away. I think Pepe and William will be left for the bench, um, but we'll see them, 
you know, 60, 65 minutes, maybe even as a double sub. So, yeah, that that's my prediction. Clive? Yeah, I would agree with that. The only one I could maybe see, depend, again, is, is um, Pepe to start and Saka to flip to left wing back. That's the only thing I could mm. see. But I've got nothing to make that apart from a hunch and what I'd like to see, actually. But, um, but yeah, I just think it's full on away. That's what I'd like to see. But again, health, fitness is, and, and minutes is, is the key. He talked up Lacazette a lot in this press conference. And I mean, it's a guy that I think we've just kind of assumed is leaving, despite there not being a ton of smoke around that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think all of us feel he's going to go because, in part, we want him to go because we think we need the money he would raise to buy the players we really want. But maybe not. Um, and there's not a lot of smoke around him. So, I think Lacazette will start. I think we'll be in the back three. And I think it'll be Aubameyang on the left. And I'm guessing Pepe on the right. And William will be on the bench. I think Saka could move to left wing back because Maitland-Niles might still be off. But also, I, I don't think you want a specialist defender on the left side on his weaker foot. Um and then Bellerin would be starting on the right, you know, even if he's rumored to go. I, I still think that's how it'll go. Now, if Cedric starts, then I think you've got a pretty strong indication of what's going to happen with Hector. Um, Tierney's obviously going to start at left center back, and it's going to be either Holding and Gabriel or Saliba and Gabriel, right? And I, I guess he'll go with Holding, figuring that, you know, it's just enough experience to get you through a game that should be manageable where we shouldn't be under the cosh that much. Um that makes the hard one goalkeeper. And I I think he'll stick with Martinez. I mean, I really think that this is where he can wear his coach's hat. This is why it's harder to be a manager than a coach, you guys. If he's just first team coach, his job's to put the players out there that play. Hey, I'm just the coach. If you want to sell the player, if you're going to move the player, that's your business. But I'm the coach. I pick the players. If he's first team coach, he can pick Martinez. He can pick Hector Bellerin. He can pick Lacazette. If he's manager and he's working as someone who has to be involved with more of the, the the long-term planning. Suddenly, you can't just say, hey, I'm just a coach. I'm just picking players. Suddenly, you have to pick Leno. Suddenly, you have to pick, leave Bellerin out potentially or leave Lacazette out because you have more responsibility for participating in the strategies and movements of the club. So I definitely think wearing this different hat has an implication for how he picks a team. Clive, you slightly disagree with that? I'm going to guess based on your facial expressions. <laughs> I just think, I think I also do a pretty decent job of letting us know about the organization. They probably do too much of a job. Whenever they speak, we hold on to every single word. And it's only been like a few hours and you've already got his job title changing and his, his responsibilities changing and, and how that's going to impact. And I think, and you, and you're, and lots of people are going to be thinking just like you, Elliot. You know, they're going to be, oh, they're going to be dissecting this. I think sometimes when we when the club speaks like this, I almost want us to just accept it mm. and know it's a step, it's a change, without pulling every detail of it apart. It's a team selection. And the team selection may show indicators to who's being transferred, or it may show indicators of who come last in the in the forty meter sprint. Do you see what I mean? We don't know. We don't know. We just know it's early season in a unique year, in a COVID year, very short gap. It's going to be a period of uncertainty, unknowns, resubstitutions again, with bodies that are weak and being overplayed. It's going to be one to watch. It really is. I'm just waiting. I'm just letting it wash over me before I conclude anything. Yeah. Can I, okay. um, yeah. Yeah. Please weigh in. Mm-hmm. 
just add to that, maybe even um, a good way of closing, really. But um, I, I was talking to the Arsenal women manager, Joe Montemoro, after game last weekend. You know, Arsenal women really written off um, during the summer because they've bought defenders and that doesn't excite people. And, you know, people looking at more exciting signings elsewhere. No one talking about them winning the league. Uh, they went and thumped Reading 6-1 last weekend, changed the formation, no problem. Uh, really, really good performance. And someone asked Joe in his like in his kind of virtual press conference, you know, was that a statement? And he said, no. He said, like, um, I, I'm a football manager. Like, I leave statements to journalists and pundits. That's not what mm. we do. We win football matches. That's that's my job. He said, like, you guys can make the statements if you like. You guys weren't talking about us this summer. That's fine. That's my job is not to make you talk. My job is to make my team play. And uh, and yeah, I I just wonder if if there's you know sometimes like Clive said we get very wrapped up in it all, and the the, the bottom line is there's a, there's a football match to win and everything else will will work out exactly as it works out before October the sixth. Yeah, and I mean, look, one thing we saw very very clearly at the end of last season is we put out a first eleven that was actually not so bad and we felt okay about and, and as we know we were able to beat Liverpool and City and Chelsea, but when it was time to change it from the bench, whew, I mean. That was pretty dicey at that point. And I think, you know, suddenly being able to pick a guy like Willian to come in with all of his experience and and adding actual attacking threat, assists and goals, you know, I mean, it, it looks a little better, right? I mean, it, it, you just have that one extra person that you bring on if you need to change a game a little bit who's not, you know, playing his 10th Premier League game ever or, um, you know, hasn't figured out how to do the end product bit yet. So I, I think that'll help. Uh, quick predictions. Clive, what do you think? Uh, 2-1. Mm-hmm. Every week, then I? <laughs> it is a popular pick. If you go to the predi- Predictatron Patreon, it's a popular loss pick. In, in the history of our Slovenian podcast. These should be European champions by but now. But my memory fails me. Have we actually lost any of those games? That's not clear. <laughs> Tim, remember. you got a prediction? Yeah, I, I'm positive about this one. Um, Fulham were 10th for shots. Um, in the championship last season, uh, above us possession. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a very possession-oriented uh, team. They'll be quite cautious. They'll play like a four-two-three-one, which they usually do with Mitrovic up front. But I, I'm I'm reasonably positive for this for, for the reasons you said that suddenly there's attacking options. I'm predicting Pepe and Willian on the bench, mm. um, and you can add like Inketia to that as well. Um, but if not, like Saka, like, like I just think the attacking options changes things for us. I'm going to say three-one Arsenal. Aubameyang finished in red hot form at the end of last season. There hasn't been enough time off for him to cool. He looked great in the Community Shield. Like I just think he is the best player on that pitch tomorrow. And as usual, I think he will be the difference maker. I don't know that the attack will click. I think there may be times where if you're on Twitter, people are moaning that we can't even break down Fulham but because uh, that's what people do. But I still think that the quality will tell that Aubameyang will get a half chance here or there and put away a couple of goals, and I could see it ending 2-0. Um, I just I just have a feeling that we will get by and that the scoreline may look better than the performance, but that's fine. There's been no preseason. There's going to be a lot of change in the lineup with players who are and aren't available. Um, I can't wait to see what he picks, though. Boy, is it going to be a talking point when those lineups come out. Maybe instead of doing our Patreon instant reaction pod at full time, we'll do it when the lineups come out because that that could be the most interesting <laughs> thing that happens tomorrow. So as a reminder, if you're new to this, uh, we will have an instant reaction pod after the game uh, for patrons and then the full pod, obviously, uh, Monday after the weekend because 
Um, it is hard to do things on the weekend when you have children, as Tim is sort of finding out. I've found out, and Clive, I guess your your children are self managed now at this point. Same with Paul. Yep, they're out in the street right now, running around, <laughs> running amok, as they say. Um, but yeah, so so we will we will have plenty more to come. And uh, if you do want to get into our fantasy league for the patrons, there's still time. Obviously, today is the last day, and if you want to get your predictions in for our Predictatron, still time as well. But most importantly, uh, plenty of great free pods as well still to come 400 down hopefully another 400 to go and my guess is that the lion's share of those 400 will be spent discussing phenomenal wins under Mikel Arteta as he takes us both to the top of the league and top of Europe can't wait for it to happen so uh for all of us again thank you so much Clive's on Twitter Clive PFC thanks Clive thank you very much Tim's on Twitter Stoberto thanks Tim a pleasure as always my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comments. Maybe uh, give to the Gooners versus Cancer Charity because uh, it's obviously something that touches so many lives and something that we um, you know, all feel strongly about. So you can do that. And I will just say that uh, we do love you and, and really appreciate you being here. And most importantly, maybe, just maybe, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 in Fulham Mill. <laughs>